From WDBM, East Lansing. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. Our weekly news and storytelling program. Made by and for the students of Michigan State University. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. And welcome to The Undercurrent. This is Season 12, Episode 8. I'm your host, Sophie Sagan. Halloween is right around the corner. It's the time of year that we embrace the dark and the scary. Our stories this week are all about making your skin crawl. But, you know, in a fun way. And we don't have much time to lose, so we'll jump right into it. This first story was put together by reporter Taylor Halterman, with help from reporters Nick Saba, Destiny Todd, and myself. It's not often that we get so many team members able to collaborate on one story together. And I can only speak for myself, but I think it was a worthwhile bonding experience. And I hope you enjoyed as well. Here's Taylor's story. Lately, I've noticed I love the thrill that comes with pushing myself outside of my comfort zone. My favorite part is that moment when sheer fear and anxiety turn into pure excitement. But I never thought that would be a part of my job. About a month ago during a news pitch meeting for this episode, Sophie mentioned that The Undercurrent had sent reporters through Haunted Odd in the past. Haunted Odd is a haunted house put on by the Michigan State University Department of Theater in the auditorium. So of course we thought sending a few reporters through with recording equipment would be perfect for the Halloween episode. At the time, I couldn't hold in my excitement and volunteered instantly. But on the car ride there with Sophie and one of our newest volunteers, Destiny Todd, I had become less sure of my decision. There's too many pedestrians. I'm so <laughs> scared. I thought I was going to be strong about this and just be like, oh yeah, I got this. Can't be that scary. And now I'm like panicking. I was just trying to like push it out of my mind. Like out of the back of my mind. The more we talk about it, the more I'm just like, nope, 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 nope. I'm not doing it. No, thank you. <laughs> this was not in the job description. <laughs> Our fears aside, we entered the auditorium and were given free range to explore and talk to the crew members. One of the first people I ran into was Quentin Nottage, who is pursuing a BFA in acting and is one of the designers for Haunted Odd. Haunted Odd is a big initiative that we do every year that gets uh, students at MSU, uh, theater students, their 30 start hours a year. So you want to get like 30 volunteer activities towards the Department of Theater. And once you have 30 hours your freshman year, you're uh, available for a $50 grant um, that year. And then it just keeps getting bigger. And your senior year, uh, it gets $500. So the, the more you put into the program, you get like grants out of it, which is pretty exciting. What's your favorite part? I love <laughs> um, the people in it. The people really <laughs> are really the best part. Because like, the people in my room next to me are my, my best friends ever, Sydney and Stephanie. They designed that room. And... Um, Working with like just a bunch of people in my grade, upperclassmen, um, the new freshmen. That, that's another thing too. Um, getting because haunted odd, like the freshmen, it's kind of like an initiation almost, like doing haunted odd. Um, and so you get to meet them and work with them, and that's really exciting. While I spoke to Quentin, Sophie met Kelly Whitehouse, a freshman BA theater major who was an actress in the room Quentin designed. What's your favorite part of this? I mean, personally, my favorite part is my part. I think the concept of Bridezilla is really cool, um, but once you are in the basement, there's a really cool cannibal section, so it's going to be scary. 
Oh, God, help me. <laughs> what is your go-to for scaring people? Like, do you scream at them? Do you chase them? Like, what's... I don't know. I'm a big fan of, like, the slow, spooky burn. Because, like, it's very creepy to just be like, Hi there. Look behind you. And then there's someone else behind you. And then we scream, and it's glorious. You got to start slow and build it up. Oh, God. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. At this point, our bravery was building, so we decided to venture a bit further and ended up stumbling into a half-lit room with blood splattered on the floor, the table, and all over Griffin Hoover, an MSU student pursuing a BFA in acting. What is your role with Haunted Dog? I am being sacrificed and eaten afterwards. <laughs> and what's your favorite part about Haunted Dog? I think so far it's been my room. It, it's very fun, like getting to work with everyone that I've been working with and to get all bloodied up and eaten alive. It's, it's been a very fun experience. If you had to rate this on a scare scale, mm. one being the least, 10 being the most, how scary do you think Haunted Out is? This is a straight up 10. This is a gore fest right now, so I'm, I'd say 10 for sure. After seeing Griffin and some of the other members of the crew getting their special effects makeup done, we came to the consensus we had seen enough blood and gore for the time being. So we made our way back to the lobby to anxiously await the first walkthrough. During the wait, I spoke to Margot Scorna, who is a co-producer and the head of story for Haunted Odd. This year's theme is vengeance. Mm -hmm. So can you like elaborate? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have this very vague title, and uh, there's been a lot of confusion about that, but it, we are kind of mixing it up a little bit um, in that there's a definite story this year in Haunted Odd. So not only are you getting like a haunted house, like, oh, it's scary. You're getting like a immersive theater experience. So you're going to see a story told tonight of a character who's wronged by her husband, and then she's going to avenge her own death, pretty much. So if you could rate the scare factor 1 to 10, 1 being the least scary, sure. what would you rate it? Um, it kind of depends on where you are in the house. There's a lot of like jump scares, but then there's also like a really scary like plot that is going to stick with you for days, hopefully. Margot had to head off for a safety walkthrough with the fire marshal, leaving me to sit and stew over the question I had asked everyone. What advice did they have for me once I actually went through the tour? Griffin, the guy who was covered in blood, could sense my fear and wanted to help me out. Just don't stand in the back. Yeah, don't stand in the back. That's my best tip. <laughs> Why? Um, well, we've just been told to target those in the back. Good so deal. make someone else go in the back. <laughs> and Quentin was less sympathetic. If you really want to get scared, being in the back of the pack is something like, it's like in the very front and the very back. If you want to get scared, don't stand in the middle because front gets it and the back gets it because we were told to attack the back. Um, so don't, don't stand in the middle or else that's lame. So, of course, when we broke into groups, Nick Saba, one of our reporters, and I went straight for the back of the group, while Sophie and Destiny tried to stay towards the middle of theirs. <clears throat> Scaredy cats. Our two groups' average runtime was about 15 minutes, and here are three minutes of our tours. You can grab one of my arm. Oh my god. All right. Here we go, Destiny. All right, walking through the door. Well, first door, so far so good. Walking down some stairs. Oh, getting darker. Here we go. Door number two. Walking into a real dark room, not a fan. We're in the basement. We are in the basement. Cobwebs everywhere. I'm already 
candlelight, candelabras everywhere, dining room tables. Big, long dinner table with some candles. Cobwebs over everything. Just looks abandoned. Let's just get out of here. Go right back, guys. Please, let's go. Oh, we have to turn. We have to turn. We have to turn, turn, turn. We got to hurry, Beck. We got to hurry. We have to hurry, Tay. I just don't want anything to, like, pop out. I feel like we're entering a garden. <laughs> Do not like those statues. Mm. He keeps telling us to go faster. Someone need someone needs help. Oh, he's coming for us next. We're now entering a room with red lights with very foggy. There's a guy on the table. They're eating some hearts. Getting too close to me. Like eating the flesh. Alright, back up the stairs. We're out of the basement. Tour guide seems unfazed by the screaming people. I want to know what's behind those doors. Oh. Where is he? Where is he now? Why did they run by us? What happened to the girl running by us? She got dragged into that room. She's fine. She's fine. Come on, come on, don't look back. Don't look back. Looking backwards is a mistake. Can <laughs> keep up with the rest <gasps> of the time. <laughs> outside, outside, come on, come on. I'm gonna just dip right out. <laughs> See, I feel safe because we're outside, but there are so many hiding places. Yeah, they could definitely pop out at any time. I'm so sweaty. <laughs> okay, I'm no longer regretting my decisions. It was fun. I would do it again. Are we going to do it the we second time? We can do time? it a second time. Let's do it again. Haunted Odd will be held in the MSU Auditorium building on the corner of Auditorium Road and Farm Lane, October 26th and 31st, starting at 8 p.m. Tickets are $10, only available at the door. And I wanted to give a big thank you to the theater department for allowing us to do a run-through for this episode. For Impact Student Radio, I'm Taylor Halterman. Our next and final piece pays tribute to the true spooky stories that are buried right in our backyard. But to find those stories, I needed some help from the right people. Um, I'm Jen Carpenter. I am one half of So Dead Podcast. And I'm Danny Fairman, the other half. My better half? Uh. <laughs> Depends on the day. I don't know. Danny and Jen went to high school together, but mostly socialized in different circles. About a year ago, they reconnected and decided to start the So Dead Podcast together, where they tell true crime, paranormal, and urban legend tales. Now, I have to admit that I like Halloween, but I don't love it. And I don't often go out searching for scary stories in my day-to-day life. But Danny and Jen do. And I was curious, how did they find their passion for the dark and mysterious stories that they tell? Um, So for me, I guess, you know, Halloween has always been my favorite holiday. And the older you get, the more you kind of adapt a... Um, I can do what I want. I don't have to necessarily try to fit into different social norms. Mm -hmm. And so it's why does Halloween just have to be one day or one week or one month? You know, I like scary movies, like true crime, like the paranormal. 
why is that relegated to one little section of time? So it's just Mm -hmm. an all-day, everyday thing now. (laughs) Mine's more true crime. I'm not a big um, scary movie person. I hate scary movies. She's a chicken. That's Mm. why. (laughs) Um, Ghost stories are always fun and fascinating, though. But the true crime, I mean... I could watch the ID channel all day long. Oh, yeah. I do, actually, most of the time. Yeah, it's just good stuff. Mm -hmm. So why not tell it? Right. Why not share that with everybody? Right. Well, let's get started with that part then. Um, So, yeah, I asked you guys here to tell me and our audience sort of a spooky Halloween story. I have no idea what you're about to tell me. Um, (laughs) So I'll just leave it to you. Okay. So we thought that it would be appropriate, since we're on the Michigan State campus, to find a Michigan State ghost slash true crime story. We're going to talk about one of Danny's favorite things. The tunnels. Tunnels. Tunnels? What Mm -hmm. tunnels? There are tunnels everywhere. Danny's obsessed with tunnels. I am obsessed with the tunnels. Unfortunately, they are like riddled with slime and Rodents. rodents and grossness and water and... I mean, they're disgusting. Right. But I would love to get some rain galoshes and explore the heck out of these tunnels. I would not go with her. I'd go. (laughs) They're all over Lansing. They're all over campus. Yes. So here on campus, there are uh, several miles, actually, of steam tunnels. They're about 100 years old. Um, They were built to house the campus utilities. Um, They're still used today for that purpose. Um, Most of them are locked up. They should all be locked up. I hope they learned their lesson uh, from this story that we're going to tell you. Um, But yeah, they're they're everywhere here. Students used to use them to get to and from different buildings in the winter months because they were warmer. They weren't supposed to, Mm -mm. uh, but they did. Um, But it was also said that they were used for some darker purposes. You know, there's, you know, crime here and there on campus. Um, So someone would break into a building, escape back out through the steam tunnels after they robbed a few dorms. Um, Now listen, though, just because we're telling about the tunnels, don't go looking for them. Don't go looking for the tunnels. See, that was my first thought. I'm like, where the heck are these tunnels? They're everywhere. They're everywhere. There, you can you can actually <laughs> see them, especially um, on the older part of campus. There's those big grates in the ground. Um, those are access points for the tunnels. Oh, that's what those are. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. Um, and so, you know, kind of there was a, is that a mind blown? I know. Mind blown, yeah. You guys, I made the mind blown movement. And okay. So what goes on in these tunnels? Um, so, yeah, it was said to be kind of an escape route. Um, you know, people would break into a building, commit a crime, get in a fight, anything where you needed to be able to get back out of a building without getting caught, people would use the tunnels for them. And it was convenient because the police did not patrol them because they said there was no way into them, even though one of the best-known access points was right in front of the administration building back in the 60s and 70s. Really? Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> I love the look on your face right now. Like, so, this is all brand new information really? to me, and I am so excited. Well, okay. I, I'm sure campus doesn't really like the advertisement of it. No. You know. Sorry, campus. No. Yeah. I feel like if I've heard about tunnels, it was a rumor. Mm-hmm. Urban legend. It was an urban legend, and it was not... It was said and then it was gone. But yeah, there was no pass. use yeah. in attempting to like try and find these. Yeah, yeah don't, don't try to find don't them. Don't try to. <laughs> You'll They're get disgusting. in trouble. 
Yeah, and you'll get bit by a rat and get the bubonic plague. (laughs) It's just not good news. (laughs) Bring the plague back. Don't do it. We've got enough problems. Right. Um, So back in the 70s, they actually used the tunnels for live action Dungeons and Dragons role play when the game first came out and was very popular. Live action as in people were putting on costumes and running around in these tunnels. Yes. Mm I mean, they call Mm -hmm. them the dungeons. They look like dungeons. The walls are covered in slime. There's rodents everywhere. Random pockets of steam come shooting out at you, you know, like a dragon. The perfect place. Perfect. Um, Illegal, but perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of those people that used to play Dungeons and Dragons in the tunnels was a boy named Dallas Egbert. Um, So we'll talk about him a little bit. Dallas was a child prodigy. Um, He had a one in a million IQ. And uh, when he was 12 years old, he used to fix computers for the Air Force. And he graduated high school when he was 14. Dallas. He was like Doogie Howser. Only smarter. Yeah. Only smarter. And Doogie was fictional. That's also true. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So he was a child prodigy and... um, His parents were always looking for something to keep his brilliant mind active. Uh, He had a lot of pressure to be the perfect child, um, which was not easy for him. Um, He had some things going on that there was still a stigma around in the 60s and 70s. Um, He was gay, but he had not come out to his family. Um, He had epilepsy, and he didn't want anyone to know that he had seizures because he thought that that would make him seem weird. Um, And he was very, very immature for his age. So as smart as he was when he was a teenager, he was said to have the intellect of like a 7 to 10 year or the mentality, I guess, of like a 7 to 10 year old kid. Wow. Um, So he had some issues, and he had all this pressure to be this perfect child, this golden child, because he was so smart. Um, so in the summer of 1979, his family enrolled him here at Michigan State for summer classes. Uh, colleges all over the country wanted Dallas. They chose MSU specifically because they were promised that he would be well looked after by staff because he was so young. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. He had a hard time fitting in. He was so much younger than everyone physically, but then also emotionally. Um, so much younger than the the college kids. Um he became obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons, um, but he even got kicked out of his Dungeons and Dragons group because they played it in the tunnels. And, you know, there were faculty members that played even. Oh. And so if you got mm-hmm. caught, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get mm-hmm. fired if you work here. You're going to lose credits if you're a student here. And they don't want this immature kid running around down there. What if he gets hurt? Yeah, he's a minor. What if he runs his mouth? Right. You know. All these normal things that college kids do, for him, there was a danger factor because he was a minor. So nobody wanted, you know, drinking at a party. You're not 21, but you're still an adult. You're 18. So, you know, you'll get in trouble, but not as much as if you're caught giving alcohol to a 16-year-old type of thing. So um, he just really was ostracized, didn't have a lot of friends, and he kind of faded into the background. Uh, So much so. That when he disappeared on August 15th, 1979, it took five days for the school to figure it out and notify his family. To figure out that he was missing at all? Yes. Mm -hmm. Dallas? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So um, his family hired a private investigator. Um, He's world famous. His name's William Deere. And everyone was really trying to figure out where is this kid? 
because of his age, because of the rumors that started to circulate, because of the fact that he was this child prodigy, um, it was national news. There were people saying that he was mourning the loss of his Dungeons and Dragons character and went into the tunnels to commit suicide. Oh, no. Um, There were people saying that he had lost touch with reality and was living as his character. And so he just lived in the tunnels now. There were people saying, you know, well, he's a kid. What if he got kidnapped? What if he got hurt? So there were all of these theories floating around. um, And they actually all turned out to be a little bit true. How? How can all of those things be true Mm -hmm. at once? I know. So he was missing for 28 days. Um, He went into the tunnels. One thing about Dallas, he was smart. He could do anything. Um, So one of the things that he started doing once he was here in an attempt to to fit in and find a crowd and be cool to the big kids um, was he started manufacturing drugs. He was really good with chemistry. um, And so he would make homemade drugs and sell them and give them away. And then he started taking them and became addicted and was basically strung out most of the time towards the end of his stay here. Um, So he got high, took a bunch of tranquilizers with with him and went down into the tunnels. Um, He said that he wasn't sure if he was going to commit suicide or if he just needed some time away, but he just wanted to be in the tunnels and alone. So That theory about him escaping to the tunnels and just going to live there, kind of true. But once he was down there, he actually did decide to commit suicide. Um, He took the tranquilizers and he woke up the next day very, very sick. So it didn't work. He climbed up out of the tunnels and he said that he crawled to a, a house of a man that he'd been having a relationship with. He never identified this man, aside from to say he was older. So I don't know if he was an older student or a faculty member, but he never identified him. The man took care of him until he was well, because he was very, very sick. But now he's a gay man in a time when that wasn't that common to be out and proud um, with a gay teenage boy. Who's been reported missing who's missing the whole country is looking for him Mm -hmm. right so that's big trouble um so it was you know you can't stay here send him to a house that was basically a big party house and they had dallas for about four days they had a manufacturing drugs for them but again i mean all of the national media was here private investigators police agencies the Mm -hmm. fbi they even started talking about him having been kidnapped by the CIA because he knew these, you know, intelligent secrets and was a human weapon because he was so smart. And so they got to the point where they were like, nope, can't be here either. You know, nobody wanted him because he was a liability still. So he was at the drug house for four days and they sent him somewhere else. Um, and he said later that this was the first time he felt in danger. Um, they sent him to a man who was a very angry, um, mean man. And it was the first time where he felt that if he just wanted to walk out the door, he could walk out the door. Um, So he was no longer hiding. He was now being held captive. And this man had him for about a week or so uh, before he put him on a bus to Chicago and told him, you know, your Chicago connection is here. Then you're going to get on the bus to New Orleans. When you get to New Orleans, you need to call this phone number and gave him a phone number to call. Authorities believe that if Dallas had called that phone number, he would have been sold into sexual slavery. Um, But he didn't. He was on the train from Chicago to New Orleans. That's a long train ride. 
You know, mm-hmm. that's a good distance. And mm-hmm. we don't have those smartphones in 1979. <laughs> so right? nothing to do. Um, so he was alone with his thoughts again. He became suicidal again. Um, and so when he got to New Orleans, instead of calling that number, he used the last bit of money that he had to rent a hotel room, um, buy the ingredients to make cyanide and a bottle of root beer. So he made the cyanide, poured it into the root beer, drank it. And again, woke up the next day violently ill. So he's now attempted suicide twice, and it didn't work either time. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he went to uh, Morgan City, Louisiana, um, where he got a job as an oil field worker. Um, And he was, again, he was very immature, but he was also very small. So that lasted all of four days before he actually reached out and called the private investigator that his parents had hired that had been all over the news, and he came home. And um, this is where it gets really sad. You know, he came home, went to therapy, started taking college classes, not at MSU, um, but back at home with his family, um, got a job. And then one year to the day after he disappeared here on campus, he committed suicide. Oh, no. So really sad story. Um, But his is the most common haunting reported in the tunnels. Really? Mm -hmm. So what do people say about the haunting? Do they... So the common story is very broad and it's very simplified, which is, um, you know, a boy disappeared in the tunnels in the 70s and nobody ever found him, which is not true. Um, Or a boy disappeared in the tunnels in the 70s and committed Mm -hmm. suicide, which is like half true because he did try. But, yeah, people say they see shadow running running by by, crying of a boy. Mm -hmm. One like hovering in the corner. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like cowering in a corner. Mm-hmm. You can hear him scream and cry. That's what they say. So his spirit is the most commonly reported in mm-hmm. the tunnels. Um, a couple of really interesting things. Um, there was a book written about the case by that private investigator. It's called The Dungeon Master. And then a movie was made in the 1980s about it called Mazes and Monsters. Very loosely based, um, but the star of that movie that played the role that was based off of Dallas was Tom Hanks. Wow. As a very, very young man. Isn't that cool? It's like mind-blowing, isn't it? It is very mind-blowing. From start to finish, this Uh has been mind-blowing. That there are tunnels and then (laughs) I knew we had you when you didn't know about the tunnels. I was like, well, we've got her for this one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's still mind-blowing. It's still kind of speechless. Also very sad. Um, Right. It is sad. But... So who, when are people sort of reporting that they're still seeing him? As try as they might to keep those tunnels locked up, there have been reports over the years that there's, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And it's it's illegal, it's dangerous, it's trespassing, but people still find their way to the tunnels. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the people that do report, obviously it's going to be creepy down there. but there are reports of, you know, you'll have your hair pulled. Um, people have been pinched. They've been shoved. They'll hear someone walking along beside them and there's no one there. Um, Pull on their clothes. Yes. Nope, 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 It's nope, said nope, to nope. be <laughs> once you're far enough in that it's the kind of dark where you really can't even think. It's just this pitch blackness and it kind of overtakes you. The worst kind of dark. See, yes. if you needed... Any more incentive not to go? Right, right. Here are is. a whole bunch, people. <laughs> I have no desire to go exploring any tunnels anytime soon, especially these ones out here. 
I do. I know you do. <laughs> but you cannot. <laughs> I'd need a rain suit. I don't know. I'm sure once I got a down there, I'd be suit. like, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> I actually have a friend who's in the tunnels today. He's a pipe fitter. So he's legally in the so tunnels. So he's legally in the tunnels. But I'm going to ask him if he saw anything. Good idea. Let yeah. Ask him if I'll he report saw Dallas. Back. Mm-hmm. All right. That's wow. It. Yeah. MSU, go green, right? Yeah. With all your... Uh, Spooky, spooky, spooky. (laughs) Haunted tunnels. So thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for the story. Yeah. Um, Oh, if people want to find your podcast, listen to it, how can they find you, reach you? Uh, So Dead Podcast is the name of it. So, you know, there's sodeadpodcast.com, but really anywhere, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mm -hmm. whatever you use to listen to your podcasts, um, we're there. And that's it for our show. Thank you to all of the people who worked on this episode. Reporters Taylor Halterman, Nick Saba, Destiny Todd. And also thank you to the MSU Department of Theater and Jen and Danny for making this show happen. Thank you also to our station manager, Olivia Mitchell, our general manager, Jeremy Whiting, and our program director, Amber Konetsky. And of course, thank you to you, our listeners. Have a great Halloween and stay safe out there. Stay away from those tunnels. If you're anything like me, you don't want to know what could be waiting for you. And until next week, you've been listening to The Undercurrent on WDBM East Lansing.